Please turn with me in the Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18. Those glorious part of the worship service that we have just experienced can only be eclipsed by something perfect, and that is God's Word. So we will um, pay heed to God's Word this morning. 1 Kings 18. Her name? Oprah. (laughs) She needs no last name, does she? She's one of those who has a one-word name, such as Cher, Madonna, Sting, Bono, Jeff. Since he's not here this morning, dare I tell you something that he did. (laughs) We were over there at their house Thanksgiving, had a wonderful meal, and we're uh, seated and watching a football game afterwards, and Katie uh, walked in the room, and Katie said, what's on TV? And Jeff said, dust. Oprah is one of the most powerful people (laughs) in the world. She's clearly the most influential woman in our country, and uh, she's one of the most powerful, arguably, in the country. What she says or does or what she pushes becomes an immediate uh, hit. Uh, She just had her favorite things shows this past week. And if she selects something for that show... It's a bestseller for Christmas. If she pushes a book in her Book of Month Club, it instantly goes to the New York Times bestseller list. And her opinions uh, are often the same way. And yet Oprah's opinion about Christianity and religion is not one that we can really embrace. She says that she was raised in a Christian environment, But she says that all religions are equal. She says that it's like God is up on a mountain and everybody else is down at the foot of the mountain. Everybody just has to get up there their own way. And therefore, that Christianity is equal to Hinduism, Muslim, Mormon, just as long as you believe and a supreme being, and you're going there. Well, now we know that that's not right. That doesn't square with what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. That's the only way that uh, our God says that you can get to heaven. When uh, Jeff started preaching on the solas, uh, four weeks ago, he asked if I would preach this last message on Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. When he was preaching on uh, faith alone and grace alone, scripture alone, sola scriptura, Christ alone, I was uh, thinking about all those things and wondering, you know, how, 
how to best apply those things. And there, there are some sermons that are very easy to uh, apply. There are others that really uh, aren't instantly applicable into our shoe leather as we leave this place. But uh, they are solidifying our foundation. I kind of thought uh, this, the solos were kind of like a, uh, a building our, our house on the rock rather than the sand. And yet I also know from my own experience and perhaps yours that while we have our house built on the rock, a solid foundation, oftentimes we react and we live like our house is on the sand. And I said, well, it's kind of a little of both. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a boulder at the beach. Let's say there's a, a rock maybe the size of this table in front of me. And that's where we build our house. But, uh, but, but right next to it, there's, there's this sand castle. And, and oftentimes we live like we're in the sand castle. Uh, but I think the soul is uh, all that we've been learning the last few weeks. They kind of help solidify our faith to get more and more uh, of our house up on the rock to solidify that foundation. And I hope we can do that this morning. As I preach basically to the choir, not much new you're going to learn, but I hope it helps get more and more of your foundation up out of the sand and onto the rock where we can leave uh, this place as God's people committing our whole lives to giving glory to him and to him alone. Now let's set the stage here in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is a time in, uh, with the people of God, they were disobedient. And God was uh, disciplining them, punishing them by sending a three and a half year drought on the land. A drought on the land. Can you imagine if we had a drought, we, we'd be perhaps complaining because of our, of our grass and uh, uh, our flowers and our bushes. But imagine back then that agrarian culture A three and a half year drought would be almost paralyzing. It was a result of God's uh, punishing his people. And and the people had a king and his name was Ahab. And the Bible says that King Ahab did more evil than all the other kings of Israel combined, it says. Well, there was the prophet, the righteous prophet Elijah. Elijah was the one who... Uh, was God's uh, spokesperson when he told them that there's going to be a drought. So now the people, they're not crazy about Elijah, but King Ahab really dislikes Elijah. King Ahab blames all the drought on Elijah in Elijah's ways. Well, now God says, I am going to withdraw my hand of punishment on the people and I'm going to send rain. I'm going to send rain. Elijah, I want you to go and tell the people. Go and tell King Ahab. Go and tell uh, my people I'm going to send rain. So that's where we pick this up. 1 Kings 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. Because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. 
Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. All right, now let's pause there for a second. And uh, Elijah tells Ahab, Ahab's mad at him. Elijah says, go get all the people of God. Go get everybody in Orangewood. Bring them out to Mount Carmel. There's going to be a duel. A duel with Diablo. High noon. Here we go. There's going to be a duel between Elijah and all the false prophets. Now, I'm kind of a visual learner, so I like to paint pictures. So as I see this duel at Diablo that's coming, I almost think it's like a football field. And, uh, and over here, you have Elijah. On this half of the field, you have Elijah. Let's call this that the, the Florida state side. <laughs> As a Florida State fan, we've had a long decade, so uh, uh, we're glad for these little blessings. So on this side, we have Elijah is going to be over here. And on the other half of the field, it's going to be 450 prophets of Baal. And they're each going to make an offering. And notice the challenge that he gives them. Elijah came near to all the people and said, And imagine, he's coming near to the people. We are in the stands. Let's say we're in the grandstands. So Elijah comes near the grandstands. And he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. You know why they didn't answer? They're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. Because while they claim to be children of God... They're practicing polytheism. They're practicing, oh yes, a little bit of God, a little bit of Jehovah God, but a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So Elijah comes there. He says, how could you do this? The people were quiet. Picking up at 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal, Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. Right? Oh, okay, that's a great idea, Elijah. That's good. Okay, now now we're talking. So Elijah says to the prophets, verse 25, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for your many. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. Can you picture this now? Picture this. There are 450 of them. And, they, and they've set up this offering. And they're calling down uh, a fire from heaven from their God. 450 of them. And they leap about the altar. Look what they do next. 
It came about, verse 27, about noon, that Elijah mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. The word, literally, uh, he's trying to show him that. Uh, he's trying to show them that there's no deity here. There's no deity. Uh, the word he says, perhaps he's occupied. That word literally in the Hebrew means maybe he's gone to the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. You don't worship a divine God. Verse 28. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances till the blush gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So now we see it's evening. They've been going all day, these 450 prophets, praying, loudly praying, cutting themselves blood, sacrificing themselves just to call out fire, that God, their God might come down and consume the offering. And nothing happens. No one answers. Verse 31. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, all the people in the grandstand now, come near to me. So now we get up. We get out of the grandstand. We come near to him on the field. He says, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. I can just imagine what that must have been like. I'm just picking, Elijah says, come near, all you at Orangewood, come near. Then we get there, and he picks up these 12 different stones, boulders, and he puts a boulder down. He says, this is for the tribe of Reuben. This for the tribe of Judah. Imagine if what tribe you were in, how you would shudder. When your tribe was mentioned, oh, the guilt you would feel because of the history of your tribe. Verse 32, so with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. Now let's pause just for a second. He's called us near. We're on the field, we're huddled around him, we're kind of looking around the person in front of us. We want to see, we want to hear. So Elijah is rebuilding this altar. And then once he gets the altar and the sacrifice, he gets water and pours it over the offering. And he does it a second time and a third time until it fills the trench. And what's real significant about this is just how valuable water was during the drought. Nobody stopped him. Nobody said, wait, 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 Elijah, that's valuable stuff. 
So now we're huddled around. We can see. We see the altar. We see the trench. There's water filling the trench. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. God says he's a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, he says. He says it 15 times in the scriptures. He doesn't want to share his glory with any of our idols, with any of our bales. He says, oh wait Chuck, I think I'm okay here. I don't I'm not into Baal worship. I don't have a statue at home. I don't have a little Buddha. I don't have crystal hanging around my rearview mirror. Well, let's think, what is a Baal? A Baal is a false god. Well, what is a false god scripturally? Scripturally, it's whatever consumes our time, our, our activities, our thoughts. Our money, our conversation. Do you know what the Baal is that every one of us worship? The false God that we give glory to is self. Oh, how we love. To take glory away from God. How we love to live for ourselves rather than our God. The book Radical by Richard Platt, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Jeff has talked about it uh, several times. I read this quote and it really convicted me, so I want to pass it on in hopes that you will share the conviction. Followers of Christ must come face to face with the dangerous reality of redefining Christianity. We are giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our 
comforts. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. We need more Christians today that believe the purpose of their lives is deeper than having a nice job, raising a decent family, living a comfortable life, and tacking church attendance onto the end of it. Ouch. We've lost our purpose, haven't we? God created us, why? For his own glory. God created us for his glory. What is the chief end of man? What is our goal? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we have taken that and we kind of become the creator God. We, we create a God that we're comfortable with. A God that kind of fits our, uh, our lifestyle. A God that uh, doesn't step on our toes too badly. But really kind of baptizes what we want to do and the life we want to lead. Oh, my friends. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. We are to look for ways that we can glorify God in everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I was wondering just how I would preach this and how I would conclude this. And I realized that James 1.21 says that we're to be doers of God's word and not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. I wonder how many times we come to church and we hear a word, hear from God's word, and we don't pay much attention, we just leave. We are deceiving ourselves. My friends, we're deceiving ourselves sitting here this morning. If really what we're doing, we're, we're living for our own comforts. And we just want a token of, uh, just pay God a token. We'll stop by, God, for an hour. And by the way, God, it, it better be good. <laughs> it better be good, God, or I'm going to start looking around. I wonder, my friends, how we can apply this this morning. How can we apply this? I wonder what we can take uh, away from this. We know this truth, don't we? You haven't learned anything new. We know that we're supposed to live for God. But there is some conviction that I hope the Holy Spirit has brought to each and every one of us. That we're paying a little too much attention to self. Living for self, spending our time for self, conversations for self, thinking about self, materialism, our wants, our desires. So the question I want us to close with is what is one thing you can do this week that you can better glorify God in? What's one way you can better glorify God? in blank.
I want us to close in a silent prayer. And I want you to deal with God. I don't want you to leave here and be deceived, my friends. Do not leave here and be deceived. You've heard the word and you walk out. I want every one of us to talk to God. God, we've heard your word. God, we've heard your jealousy. God, we've heard you're jealous about, about things that I'm doing. I'm living for self, for my own personal peace and prosperity. Oh, God, how can I glorify you? How can I glorify you in my job? Think about that in this closing prayer. How can I glorify you, God, in my job? How about in a relationship? Could be in your marriage. Could be with your kids. But how about a relationship with a friend or neighbor? God, how can I glorify you? How can I, how can I mention your name more in the relationship I have with those I play tennis with or I play golf with or I carpool with or I play cards with? God, how can I glorify you to my friends? How about my thoughts? Oh, God, convict me when I have the bad thoughts. Conversation. Oh, God, convict me when I slip into gossip. God, may my thoughts, may my words be glorifying to you. Oh, God, give me new energy. Give me new energy to glorify you in all that you do. In all that you do. Ask God to give you that, that energy to enable you. The preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. (laughs) So let me start. Those of you who are hurting today, some of you need comfort. You need comfort, and I tell you, my friends, you're in the drought. You say, oh, Chuck, if you knew me, I'm in the drought. And man, it's been three and a half years. I'm having trouble trusting God. It's easy for me to to look elsewhere. I can't see him. I can't see him. What I've got to tell you, my friends, is hang on. Hang on. You hang on by your fingernails if you have to. But God is there. And God is going to deliver you. He's going to rescue you. In his perfect timing, he will do it. But those of you who need to be afflicted, I pray God's Holy Spirit would convict your heart as he has mine. How I can leave this place this morning and seek to bring more glory to him in one specific area of your life this week. Let's pray together. You've heard of the word of God. What is it that has uh, spoken to you this morning? Has God spoken to you as he pierced your heart, as he nudged you, as he stepped on your toes? Can you ask that question? Oh God, how can I better glorify you this week? in blank. Let's each one of us talk to God silently now as we seek to apply this message.
O Lord God, hear the prayers of your people, of these your children who want to leave here seeking to bring more glory to you and to you alone. For we make our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.